Hi, everybody. Welcome to Radio 815. We are on episode 74 of our podcast about J.J. Abrams and his extended Bad Robot universe. If you are just joining us, we have recently wrapped Lost, our rewatch of the entire series. We've already knocked out Felicity and Alias, so we thought rather than diving into another TV show straight away, we would bring it back to the very first official writing credit of one Jeffrey Abrams. Before he was even crediting himself as J.J., Jeffrey Abrams co-wrote, along with Jill Mazursky, the Jim Belushi, Charles Grodin comedy classic? Taking Care of Business from 1990, directed by Arthur Hiller, about a guy who escapes from prison to go and see the Chicago Cubs in the World Series and comes across the filofax of <laughs> wealthy businessman Charles Grodin and they basically switch lives for a couple of days and Jim Belushi, ponytail and all, gets up to some crazy hijinks. From Hollywood Pictures, James Belushi is Spencer Barnes. Sir, sir. And Charles Grodin is Spencer Barnes. Absolutely. They're two completely different men. I'm serious. Shut up. Sharing the same name. Spencer Barnes? Hi, Spencer Barnes. Yeah, it's me. And creating one huge identity crisis. Spencer. 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 That's not Spencer. James Belushi. This is getting complicated, huh? Charles Grodin. This is a disaster. Taking care of business. I don't know who I am. Rated <laughs> R. Marcelo, taking care of business. What did you think of this epic masterpiece the first thing that's got the abrams name to it i personally have you know never saw taking care of business so i mean i knew it existed maybe at some point in my life i saw pieces of it but i wasn't a jj fanatic as i am now and i will tell you it was so much fun it was ridiculous over the top but it was so much fun the thing that i liked about it in particular is when the film wraps up, it does have this moral message at the end of the film that really sinks home. As bad as a person, Jim Belushi's character, is set up to be at the beginning of the film, as the film goes along, you can just see that he's just a person that has a propensity to steal some cars once in a while, but isn't necessarily a bad person. I really like the performance of The Warden. Yeah, Hector Elizondo. He's in a lot of the Gary Marshall movies, and he's always great. Yeah, he was an absolute delight for what we saw of him because the the, the film, for the most part, stayed with uh, Jim, Jim Belushi's character, as he, you know, invaded Spencer's life. But occasionally it would cut back to the prison and you would see the prisoners barricading themselves in a specific part of the prison claiming to have Jim as a hostage, you know, asking for X amount of things or they would kill Jim. So I thought that the film was just charming and delightful. I really didn't feel like picking this film apart because I had so much fun with it and I thought that that would be a laborious process. And uh, yeah, I just I just loved it. Yeah, I um remember seeing it as a kid. Now, I don't think I saw it in the theater, but I vividly remember the VHS with Jim Belushi surfing on top of Charles Grodin's car, which does not happen in the movie. But I remember seeing that box and being like, I gotta watch this. And then somebody like renting it for a sleepover, just finding it hilarious because Jim Belushi was like really on a hot streak back then with Mr. Destiny and some stuff. And he's got the ponytail, which at the time... 
I probably thought was cool. And now it's like, this is the worst ponytail I've ever seen. But what I like is that he's just this carefree, like cool, smooth talking guy. It's kind of like Jim Belushi riffing on a character that Bill Murray would have been born to play. As they go along, he says a bunch of inappropriate things. Here's to the Chicago Cubs and big tits. And I remember like when I was younger, just thinking that was absolutely hilarious. And then when Mr. Sakamura or whatever also comments on the woman, like very inappropriate stuff now, but back in the day, just thinking that this was an outrageous comedy. And then even the fact that <laughs> the last act, he dresses up as his mother and everyone believes that it's his mother. And you're watching it now and you're like, this is, this is some like, 1995 sitcom level stuff but because you got Jim Belushi who is just a really charming guy you got somebody like Hector Elizondo as the the straight warden and one of the all-timers Charles Grodin as the guy who everything is going wrong for it just makes it fun and compelling and I know that this story is it's true it's a true story it's based on so the story goes because I have the um blu-ray from Kino Lorber that does have an audio commentary by the other writer, Jill Mazursky. As she said that this happened to her where she was at a, an airport and lost her file of facts and it had her whole life in it. And she was panicking because she had lost it. One day she was at a mall and she was going down the escalator and up the other escalator was JJ Abrams, who she had known. And he says, Jill, what's going on? She goes, nothing. He said, come on up the other side of the escalator and have a drink with me. They went to go have drinks. She said in the back of her mind, she kept thinking, I can't tell him about this idea. I can't tell him because it's such a great idea for a movie and I can't tell him. And then, of course, she told him and he was like, you might have something there. He left and a couple hours later, he calls her and he says, I've got it. The person who finds the file of facts is an escaped convict. And she's like, holy shit. That's a movie. And he says, yeah, that's a movie. Let's do it. So they wrote up a treatment together. And she said it was a very exhaustive treatment that had all of the beats of the movie, 21 page treatment. And now Jill Mazursky, her father, Paul, is a very famous filmmaker. And JJ obviously had a lot of Hollywood ties. You know, his famous story about watching a test screening of John Carpenter's Escape from New York. The story about him doing Spielberg's student films. So they basically got a meeting. Jeffrey Katzenberg read the treatment and said, I love it. Write it. Then they went off and wrote the script for a couple of months. They handed the script in and Katzenberg was like, we got a green light. This thing's incredible. Let's go and signed them to a three picture deal. So this was the first of their three. The second picture never got made. And the third is the Danny Glover, Joe Pesci gone fishing that we will eventually have to talk about because that's the other movie that Jill and Jeffrey wrote together as part of this big overall deal with what was Hollywood Pictures, which was an offshoot of Disney and Touchstone. This was the second movie that Hollywood Pictures put out. It is just a very 1990s movie. So, you know, obviously it was probably filmed in the late 80s, so it's got a lot of that 80s vibe. But watching it now, the charm of Belushi and Grodin together carry the movie. One of J.J.'s favorite movies and one of my all-time favorite movies is Charles Grodin and Robert De Niro in Midnight Run. And so Jill mentioned that that was like a touchstone for them and that J.J. also loved the movie Stakeout with Dreyfus and Emilio Estevez and that kind of tone 
of having like a serious theme underneath it and some heart, but also being uproariously funny is what they were going for. Marcelo, you thought they kind of nailed that because this is just an irreverent screwball comedy, but does have some heart to it. First of all, I had no idea that this was based on something that actually happened to one of the writers. And secondly, while you were telling that story, I was like, so how do you think, how, how old do you think JJ was at the time of writing this treatment and getting this thing made. So she said that he had one year at Sarah Lawrence left and she had just finished college. So also she mentioned that every time they had a big successful milestone, JJ would throw a gigantic party at his parents' house to celebrate. So when they sold the treatment, giant party. When they sold the script, giant party. When they got the three picture deal, giant party. And she also did mention on that initial phone call when JJ said, I've got this idea. He said, I will write it with you, but you have to take Sid Field's screenwriting class and you have to read the book How to Write a Movie in 21 Days because she had not taken any courses and JJ obviously had which is interesting because I think now people would tell you fuck fuck Sid Field and fuck a lot of those screenwriting books and courses I think back then because the internet wasn't as wasn't a thing. It wasn't like you could just look up a lot of that information and get it from other places. And now those screenwriting courses teach you all of the bad habits that you have to break because so many of them are by the book and have been done to death. So I thought that was a really interesting thing. And the the title of this movie in lots of places was just Filofax. So they changed it because Filofax is a trademarked name. So it would be like making a movie now and calling it iPhone. And unless you're on Apple TV Plus, that movie title is not going to fly. So they had to come up with a new title. And apparently it was Charles Grodin who said, I don't know, how about taking care of business? And then they were like, oh shit, we could put the song in all the marketing, slap Bachman Turner Overdrive in the trailer, print the money. This is a, this is a hit. To go to your point about when JJ said to... Uh, his co-writer, that she needed to read the Sid Fields book and she needed to take some courses. I'm like, when you mentioned that, I I had a flashback. I had a nightmare flashback because when I was learning to write, I was given that book. I read it. I spent a couple weeks trying to emulate what I saw in the book. And by week number three, I wanted to just kill myself. I I, I literally, after, after going online and reading some Aaron Sorkin scripts, I literally took the book and flung it and flung it, uh, you know, outside of my room. Yeah. Because I couldn't take it anymore. Look, I don't know Sid Fields. He might be a brilliant teacher, but his method didn't work for me at all. It, it absolutely did not. Well, I think it's definitely in 1990, that probably seemed like the only way. But now it's like, no, no, no. There's way better resources out there. Yeah, actually, uh, just uh, just another add on to that. So after I chucked the book out the window the guy who taught me formatting and who i took the most from as far as structure is jj so i read a lot of i I read his alias script i i read his fringe script i of course i read some felicity of course you know me i have to do that but i took some of his pillars and you know in reference to the way that he formats stuff in his scripts and that's the way that i do those in my own today so i just thought that that was funny that jj said to this one individual or his co-writer, you need to look at this person. And I turn halfway around and I learn from him. Well, that's awesome that you can look at his stuff and and find the form and the structure. And I think even in a comedy like this, you can see the structure. The characters all do have arcs where they learn something. And a lot of stuff that is set up is paid off later. So in terms of structure, 
you know, JJ knew what was going on even this early. And for you to read his scripts later and take the inspiration is awesome. Yeah. But the other thing about this movie that I found hilarious, John Delancey is in this film and also Gates McFadden is in this film. And as a resident Trek lover yep. of this podcast, I lost my shit when I realized that. It took me a couple of minutes because I, I do believe that John Delancey showed up when um, when Jim was supposed to lose to the Chinese gentleman but didn't lose. Yep. But I, I, didn't, I didn't recognize him. But when he showed up later on the beach in the suit, I was like, holy shit, that's John Delancey. And when Gates McFadden showed up at the restaurant as that really nasty executive woman that, you know, didn't want to hear any ideas that wanted to just do what she wanted, I lost my crap. I was like, this is so weird and so awkward. But the other thing that I liked, (laughs) the other thing that I found humorous is that uh, at the beginning of the movie, Jim is sort of like going through the motions. He's waking up, he's brushing his teeth. But I'm like, he carries around a radio listening to the Cubs. And then... We find out that he works the cafeteria of the prison. And I don't know what it was, but the food in that prison looked disgusting. So I was like, that is some really nasty fucking shit. I would never eat that. I would I would starve to death of prison because that's some nasty. That was some nasty shit, man. I, I was like, no, I ain't having that. And I love that that is a plot point that comes back multiple times over the movie. So that was that was one of those like Chekhov's gun. It's. Chekhov's slop shit food that they show us in the beginning and then it ends up becoming a plot point later where he tells them well this this food you make is crap this food you make is crap this food you make is crap and then the warden offering better food by the end so I think that that's a really good and astute point to make you know the guy who directed this Arthur Hiller he did a lot of these kind of comedies that had like a little bit more going on he directed see no evil hear no evil with the great gene wilder and richard pryor and he also made a steve martin movie that i think is one of the underrated steve martin movies called the lonely guy that's actually like a really funny and sweet movie about a guy who's just a lonely guy so he kind of specialized in these comedies that had a little bit more going on uh again on that 90s tip there's a line in this movie where jim belushi screws around with basically like the boss's daughter and afterwards she's like wow that was the best safe sex i've ever had and i was like what because nowadays like nobody would say that but it would just be implied but it was like you know that was pretty good considering we had to use a rubber i was like what in the hell is this this is the best safe sex i've ever had i was like that's a very 1990s like trying to get the word out about stds kind of line but there is a lot of charming moments and it is fun when in the third act You know, this guy who's been through the ringer, Charles Grodin, gets charmed by the guy who has stolen his life. And they become friends and have that good moment. I love that that part where Belushi catches the ball at the game and he's on TV and it's it's so stupid, but it's so funny. And then when Grodin dresses up as the priest for the big finale to sneak Jim back in, it's one of those things where it's not high art, but damn, is it entertaining. To me, I really liked the actress who played the boss's daughter who ends up sleeping with Jim Belushi's character, she was great. And I was really, really disappointed that after, you know, Jim and Spence go to the baseball game, that Jim doesn't 
go and see her one more time after she figures out that he is not who he was for 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 most of their friendship right so that's the only thing that bothered me about this film i wanted it to go for maybe 10 more minutes i agree with you i think the only thing that they maybe didn't do it is because would that girl still be into him if she found out he was a criminal who just did three years hard time. No, I, you know, you know, I believe so because when Stan's wife called the car phone in the parking lot when they were actually listening to the rest of the game after escaping from the cops, uh, that girl asked if they were still on for tomorrow. So if she, if she would do that, I think that she would be amenable to dating an ex-convict or a car thief. Now I, now I acknowledge that's not too much to go on. But I think there's a little hope there. Yeah, I think that there definitely would be a little hope there, but I'm sure that they just didn't want to get into like a a very hard cock about like, okay, so like what did you do to get there and how? But I do agree that it would have been nice to see them reunite because yeah, the we're still on is the victory, but they could have had more of a, a celebration of them actually getting together once he got out because the movie doesn't feel overly long. It doesn't overstay its welcome. So that would have been would have been a decent addition and this is the kind of movie like i said very 90s if cell phones existed none of this movie happens and even even when there is a car phone i'm like okay like this guy should have been on the phone sooner like groden should have been making all the calls to make sure that his meetings are rescheduled and people know that he's screwed up but of course they say he lost all the phone numbers but now with a cell phone none this whole movie would have been avoided and it would have just been like you know a text chain of I'm I'm lost all my shit. I can't make the meeting, hold the meeting. And if somebody showed up, they'd be like, well, this can't be him. He just texted me five minutes ago. The other thing that I thought was quite charming was seeing him have to constantly call that woman who had a crush on him in high school. That was some screwball gold in my mind. Now, guys, I don't like comedy, but there was something about this woman's performance that just worked for me. And something, you know... Her performance was so sincere and so annoying at the same time. It was just, a, it was an interesting feeling for me. I, I loved it, but I hated it at the same time. You could say that she was like a good natured, slightly off person. So she was kind of like needy and annoying, but then she does have the sweet moment, you know, when Groden brings her the dog and then she helps out with the putting Jim in drag for the finale. So I did like that it pays off in a good way because she's this makeup specialist. But a few moments where you're just like, yeah, I can see this being like this clingy person that I don't necessarily want to, to see in real life, but it was definitely entertaining for this movie. The, the last thing that I kept thinking throughout the course of this movie, and the only reason that I was thinking this is because I know this. JJ doesn't give a shit about sports. JJ does, JJ does not like baseball. Yeah. And I, I found it very weird that Jim Belushi's character liked baseball. If JJ doesn't like baseball now, the liking baseball thing, I mean, I mean, us as writers, we put stuff in scripts that we don't like all the time. So it's possible, but for some reason that kept bothering me. I'm like, why would JJ choose baseball? But then again, it, it might have been his co-writer's thing and not his. I don't, I, I don't know. I'll just speak on that real quick because it did come up and she said she doesn't love baseball either, but... One of the things that they tell you in all of those screenwriting books to raise the stakes of anything is a ticking clock. And they thought this World Series game that is scheduled for a certain day at a certain time 
could be the ticking clock to raise the stakes of the movie. It probably didn't matter what sports it was, but they thought, what is something that people are fanatical about? Baseball. What is something that hasn't happened in so many years that it would be absolutely historic? Chicago Cubs winning the World Series. So I think that they they kind of pulled it out of a hat, but it was for reasons that make complete sense. They wanted to add that intensity of a ticking clock to the story. So that speaks to JJ's and Jill Mazursky's being attuned to knowing that when you raise the stakes, even if it is just a small thing, like that ticking clock of a baseball game this guy's got to get to, the most important baseball game in the world, it makes things more intense. And that is something that ticking clock, you look at any of the episodes of Alias, it's always a ticking clock in all those stories. So it's certainly something that has been used time and time again even in JJ's Trek and Wars stuff where they've got to do something by a certain time or X is going to happen. I actually watched this uh, movie last night and I spoke to a friend of the show and she was just really surprised that I had never seen this movie before. And when I think of JJ's later work, there's really only one film that I think about. And we're going to talk about that film really, really soon here. But I'm wondering, were you surprised that this was JJ's first film? Because when I looked at it, I was like, this is fun. This is entertaining. And this is good. But this does not scream JJ Abrams to me. I'm Now, now I'm thinking maybe it took him until Felicity to find his voice or he has that ability to disappear into something that he writes to where his voice doesn't come through. If you're breaking into Hollywood, any opportunity you get, even if it's not the thing you really want to do, you probably try and and swing the bat and hope that you get a, a hit, whether it be a single or a double. The first thing that does feel like a J.J. Abrams joint is probably Armageddon because the other stuff has shades of J.J., but it feels like he was hired to write somebody else's idea or like an idea that he thought would be something that would sell. Whereas when you finally get to Armageddon, which is this wildly huge, high-concept sci-fi action thing, the romance and the heart that we associate with J.J. from Felicity is there. So I feel that you can feel that. And a lot of these, taking care of business is the least. Taking care of business and gone fishing are the least J.J. Abrams one because his next two movies regarding Henry and Forever Young both have that. We know that J.J. it has like a romantic heart and like likes these love stories and ideals about finding a soulmate and that kind of stuff. So I do feel like those two wacky comedies were probably just like, I got to get my foot in the door. Those romances are the foot is in the door and he's working in the family drama space. But then it's when it's Armageddon and it's Felicity, that's where he actually gets to start using his own voice and not, not writing what he thinks Hollywood wants. So I feel like it's just growing pains because he was so young to get in there and you have to establish yourself before you can really let loose. Things often work different now because of the internet and people get discovered with a movie at Sundance or on YouTube. And so people are looking for writer directors who have a unique voice right out of the gate. But that's also just the times have changed so much. Like they were, they were so damn young when they made this thing. Did you, did you see the JJ cameo? No, I didn't. I missed him. So JJ and Jill Mazursky are both on the first airplane that Charles Grodin takes in the first, I think about 15 minutes into the movie. So we see JJ and 
Jill walk by the camera and the dude doesn't even have his glasses. He's so young. And then JJ is sitting directly in front of uh, the woman who sits beside Charles Grodin. So there's a couple of shots of he's chewing bubble gum on the plane. There's a couple of shots of him in the chair when they're filming behind him to get Grodin and the woman. So JJ and Jill both make cameos in the movie. So if you go back, it's about 13 to 15 minutes into the movie. Uh, go check it out and you'll just be like, holy shit, look at this kid. No, but the other the other thing that I want to ask you is, I look, I understand this is his first film, but why go with his given name for X amount of films and then once we get to once we get to uh, Felicity go with the moniker that we all know and love JJ what, what do you think what do you think was behind that I'm willing to bet it was just a, he thought he should go by his you know birth name his given name but even in the credits of this there is someone credited as just JJ in the in the cast so it's a, like a character who's not really in the movie and all it says is jj so they might have credited his cameo i don't know but i feel like oftentimes people feel like they have to go by their official name when they first start out and then probably it caused confusion when people would meet him even execs and he probably said like i don't go by jeffrey call me jj and so as his reputation started to get up i bet people just kept calling him that and he was like you know what I'll just go by what people call me. Yeah, hey man, you don't need, I mean, I mean, I'm the last person that you need to tell someone who doesn't want to go by their given name because I don't I don't I don't go by my given name anywhere. Nobody nobody really calls me by my given name ever. Right. So, I definitely understand if JJ wanted to make that change uh later in his career. Do you have any more final thoughts about this glorious early jj masterpiece the only other thing i will say is you know when he makes that change is armageddon so i do think that there is something to the fact that those first movies were like the training wheels were on the bike and he wasn't ready to like let loose and then by the time armageddon and felicity roll around which is the same year those both start in 98 i feel like he's like you know what take the training wheels off i'm jj abrams i'm not jeffrey abrams i've paid my dues and now i'm here with the movies that actually and the tv shows that actually mean something to me and i want my real name on it i did not have any goddamn earthly clue that going fishing was a jj project and i am scared to death to watch that movie and i don't know why good old joe pesci and danny glover together two-thirds of the lethal weapon holy trinity and the movie he did before that was forever young with the other third mel gibson so as a lethal weapon fan i just had to point out that we almost get it in there yeah gone fishing is gonna be we'll be talking about it sooner or later but i think we're pushing that one a little for kicking that can a little further down the road because uh, we're not quite there yet no but um the other the other thing that i'm really excited to get to uh, is you know regarding Henry because that film really that and Forever Young are the two JJ really early films that I saw when I was a kid and and uh, those have more of a special connection to me now because JJ wrote them but back in the day I I liked them even when I didn't know who the hell JJ Abrams was. Yeah, I would say both of those movies. I liked Taking Care of Business too, but I certainly never knew who the writer of these movies was especially as a kid i was more of a i would always observe the director name rather than the writer name until certain people started having very unique voices like 
the Tarantino's, Kevin Williamson's of the world where you start to notice, oh, okay, this guy wrote this. It's going to be like this one. So it will be interesting. Next week, we will be talking about 1991's Regarding Henry, which does star Harrison Ford, one of the all-time greats. Join us for that. If you guys are enjoying the show, please like, rate, subscribe, let us know. If you are finding us now and want to go back to the back catalog, it's all posted there for you, but also is now available on YouTube. So Radio 815 now does have a YouTube channel where we are posting our podcasts. So if you want to jump on there and check out the Felicity episodes, the Alias episodes, the Lost episodes, you can jump on there. They are all going to be up there for you to listen to. So if YouTube is an easier place for you to get those episodes rather than your Apple Music Spotify's, then check that out because Marcelo has put in the work to make sure all the episodes are up there. So check them out if you want. You can pick and choose. That is where we're at. If you guys want to get in touch with us, you can reach out on Twitter using the hashtag Radio815 or our Twitter handle at JJUniverse815. I am on Twitter at Matt Crandall. Marcelo, where can the good people reach you? If you guys want to reach out to me and talk to me about and talk to me about anything, I'm also on Twitter. I'm at CreekFanatic88. All right, guys. Thanks so much for listening. We appreciate you all. Until next time, here's to the Chicago Cubs winning the World Series and big tits. Radio 815 is a Balloonhead Productions presentation in association with Killer Newt Productions.